welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. Um, I'm excited that my guest today is John Graham of Cartwright uh, over in Los Angeles. Um, John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ed. It's, uh, it's awesome to be here, man. Apologize for getting you up so early. Um, oh, no, it's, it's nine. It's nine. I'm good. I can I can make nine. Nine I can make work. Um, could you take us through a little bit of, a, of your kind of resume, accelerated I know you worked at a ton of super interesting places. Um, you're now at Cartwright. You've been there for about a year, right? Yeah, a little year and year and some change. Uh, yeah, I out of school. Um, I actually started in the media world. I think, like a lot of folks, I fell into this business without a real sense of who did what. I kind of thought everyone did everything. Different departments were kind of a mystery. Um, but it was great. <clears throat> it was a really great place to start. There's a lot of you know, learning through uh, audience research and data and analysis of that stuff was kind of core to my base skills, you know. Uh, but, you know, I got exposed to um, strategic planning, you know, creative strategy pretty early on and decided that was the right fit for me and, and quickly made the switch. Um, yeah, so I've, I've uh, from there, I've, I've spent some time at Euro RSCG with now Havas under the tutelage of uh, Michael Faneuil, who was my, uh, my my first boss and mentor. Uh, and that was a great experience, um, you know, working on, you know, I always make it clear that I worked on year two of the most interesting man in the world. I try not to take credit for it. <laughs> a lot of people do. Uh, anyone that's attached to it uh, seems to say that was mine. I worked on year two and uh, uh, year three, but, uh, you know, as a young strategist, that was just a masterclass from folks like Carolyn Credier and and uh, and some of the other people that went through that that piece of business. Uh, and, and a lot of the creative leaders uh, were fantastic. Um, yeah, from there, I uh, I moved on to uh, BBH New York uh, and worked on a lot of uh, acts. Uh, at the time, acts was trying to sort out. Uh, you know, how it went from, you know, actually like a lot of the problems that Axe faced were more based on another brand called Tag uh, that, that did some of the more egregious <laughs> communications, but a lot of it got a, a, um, uh, put on Axe. And um, we were trying to sort out ways to seem a little more inclusive, a little broader uh, in our appeal, uh, maybe um, uh, especially for, for women. And we worked on, uh, something called uh, Fear No Susan Glenn, which was a which was a piece of work that really kind of flipped the tables and and, and put women <clears throat> and put women in charge and put women in the place of power and celebrated their their um, <laughs> their uh, their sway over young men. Yeah, uh, there's was really um, a good change for the brand. Yeah, there's a there's a podcast with the interview with um, the the team at with Elizabeth at Martin and the client. Mm -hmm. You listen to that yet? No, I got to check that out. That's I would, I would uh, love it. it's really interesting because that spot's mentioned um, uh, as you know a, a kind of turning point um, and uh, pretty interesting. As you said, 
you know, a brand that had been tarnished. Yeah, it, it was funny. It was this, um, I'm going to use some kind of blue language, but like the, it was at a time where almost every brief I got, I received said something like, we have a problem with being perceived as douchebag. And I was like, I don't, I think so many of these briefs are coming through. I feel like it's not these brands that have a problem. Maybe it's the whole country has a <laughs> douchebag problem. It's a pervasive epidemic. Um, but no, it, it was, it, it, yeah, it had this. And there was actually some other work behind the scenes that quite frankly didn't make it to air that it was that was super brave. Um, but that that for us was a was a really big turning point. Um, Who was the creative suit working on? Yeah, well, you got to give credit to them because that was uh, Ari Weiss, yeah, um, Nate Abel, and uh, Peter Rush, uh, Rush, mm. um, who uh, has gone on to be a pretty accomplished author. You can kind of tell in the in the writing that he's yeah he's playing a different game, <laughs> but he he presented that script uh, in the first creative review, and that was kind of the thing. Like it, it, from from that moment on, um, it it didn't change a whole lot from from when it was originally presented to when it actually uh, made it out into the world. Um, I'm actually really proud of some of the other stuff we did. Um, it was kind of early days of of meme culture, and I had a really good uh, strategist on my team named Eric Fernandez, who uh, who um, just went really deep on how memes and uh cultural conversations start and we built like a uh a bit of a plan to sort of kind of seed the idea and this is kind of early days of this stuff and and he shot a lot of it in his on his own as a strategist you know um he would do things like use alphabet soup and write susan glenn and then mix it up and then put it in reverse so it came to, he was just doing like and he's just doing it all himself. And he probably made like 20 of these different memes. Um, and it really helped build a little bit of a base around the story. Like people were starting to talk about it. We had some partnerships with MTV and other places that kind of started, that built a bit of a groundswell around it um, uh, that kind of made it feel like more of a, of a, of a movement and of a, of a, of a, uh, not a movement, but more of a, uh, a phrase that you know hopefully would stick a little bit. We, we saw some evidence that it did, but um, I don't think it's in the the, the culture now. But it, for for the time it was out there, it felt like it it made a real impact, and you know people did did talk about it quite a bit. So really proud of that work. Um, yeah. So you, so you're a BBH, and um, what else did you work on while you were there? Uh, I worked on. Um, let's see. I worked on. Uh, Cadillac for a hot minute <laughs> when it was in its phrase, it was in its phase of changing agencies every six months. Now, when it moved to New York, the whole when they moved the whole company to New York. Uh, no, this was they were still in Detroit. There was a there was a period where you know the business went from uh, I forget someone had it for a while. They came to us. We had it for a minute, and then they had some leadership changes, like two leadership changes, I think, within a few months, and then it, it moved on to uh, Fallon. But uh, so that was that was an interesting ride. You know, it was one of those situations where as a you know, relatively young strategist, you show up and the piece of business is brand new. But it's it, it, sometimes putting a like um, onboarding, that stuff can be more chaotic than the pitch. Right. So um, and then they had their leadership changes. So that didn't last very long. 
Uh, we had some decent work for that. Um, I also worked on the commission, commission for presidential debates, which was uh, a um, essentially creating the digital uh, ex experience companion to the debates. So this would have been the, the Romney Obama debates. If you remember that, that first one where Obama kind of showed up a little bit like listless, <laughs> um, and, and had to pull it out and pull it back up, pull it back up his performance in the, in the next couple, um, debates, but we, we essentially created a tool, um, that showed you based on some blind questions where you fit on a spectrum between the two, uh, the yeah, two I think I remember this, yeah. candidates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it kind of made you, f it, it, it kind of pointed out that like the, and at the time this was like diet Coke version, but like the, the divisions between the country and that you might have more in common with both sides than maybe you realized um, that, you know, once you get below like your main, uh, you know, single, single, like most, most, most important deciding factor, whether that's the environment or abortion, uh, or whatever that is for you, um, there's a lot of commonality, you know, and, and, and so it kind of did a double job of helping you understand where you fit, but also point out to you that maybe the divisions aren't as stark as maybe they seem, um, I guess it didn't do its job because <laughs> we're in the state where tried. this one digital tool didn't, didn't solve all America's yeah, yeah. problems. Although that's what the brief said. <laughs> What's that? Solve. Although the brief said we were going to solve the world. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. No, this is going to revolutionize everything. Uh, this was in the binders full of women days uh, when that was the most um, uh, outrageous thing a politician had said. It seems quaint in, in yeah. hindsight. But uh, yeah, so that my, my experience at BBH was fantastic. I, I learned from a lot of great people um, like Emma Cookson and Heidi Hackamer and, um, uh, and just a lot of great people. And it's also where I met um, a guy named Brian Smith, who, uh, who was deputy uh, head of strategy there and who, who was at 72, who moved to 72 and sunny and, and talked to me uh, quickly after, soon after landing there about joining them. Uh, and this was, you know, when 72 was kind of at the very beginning of its kind of rapid growth. Um, and I had no interest in living in Los Angeles, but then I visited and I, I called my wife and I'm like, yeah, it's like this really sexy cult that they pay you to be at. And it's awesome. And everyone's really smart and cool. Um, and we're going to love it here. And, and we have, we've loved Los Angeles. And, and that was a really great experience. And Brian taught me, uh, a ton of new tricks, uh, really respect him, huge mentor for me. Uh, also Kelly Schofel, who's the other um, head of strategy there, our ESD there, and, and Matt Jarvis, Glenn Cole, John Boiler, all those folks are, are wonderful people and, and taught me a ton of uh, really kind of, um, I think really up my game in a way that I wouldn't maybe have gotten if I stayed put or you know tried something else. So it was a, it was a really great experience. Is that where you met Keith? That's where I met Keith. So Keith, um, you know, I was there, I got there in like 2013, uh, 2012, um, and uh, worked a lot on Activision and uh, um, uh, Sonos. Those are kind of like my two main uh, projects for a while, um, which were both you know, you know, two kind of ends of the spectrum in, in their maturity. You know, uh, uh, Call of Duty was the biggest game on earth 
and still is uh, by, by some measure. Um, and uh, you know, the, the the job there was keep it fresh, keep it moving, uh, keep it relevant, keep it you know maintain that sense of like blockbuster appeal, this kind of gravitational magnetic pull. The the um, the uh, CEO of of Activision was a guy named Eric Hirschberg at the time, who came from uh, Deutsch, probably you know legend of the game. Yeah. And his his whole phrase around that was, we need to create a sense of cultural inevitability that this thing is so big and so powerful that you're going to end up playing it, whether you like it or not. It's just, it's just you're gonna you're gonna feel like you're missing. Not having out. Call, to, Call of Duty was a, would be a problem. Not What's having, that? Not having the game. Yeah, yeah, not having it, and you just wouldn't have the you wouldn't have the cultural vocabulary of your. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And um, so our job is like maintaining that sense of scale and and status, which is a lot of fun for a strategist because you know it deals with big themes around camaraderie and you know they touch on actual world events. So the positioning job and the research job there was was really quite fun. Um, and, and you know one of the things that that really attracted me to seventy two was the sense of collaboration between. Uh, creative and and strategy uh it was kind of what what it was sold as and, and it lived up to it you know i liked the idea that you know at the time there was a i think there's still this to a certain effect a, 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 a certain sense but everything went on the wall right everything was put on the wall and, and reviewed by the team you know when it's on your the phrase was when it's on your computer it's yours when it's on the wall it's all of all of ours and um and i really liked that because i i I really, I've always respected the creative process and and the way that creatives have to put themselves out there in a way that's vulnerable and difficult. And it's easy to it's easy to um, uh, think of that in an abstract sense. But then when you have to put your work constantly on the wall and experience standing there in front of everyone and going, "Here's what I think," and having them come up and look at it and question it. Um, I, I liked that challenge and I liked that um, that amount of feedback and that kind of collaborative spirit that that it that it creates. Um, and so I think it 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 kind of was a good trust exchange between strategy and and creative in that way that you know it wasn't it wasn't two you know opposite forces ever meeting. It was very much a we moved together in both ways, uh, you know, both in developing strategy and developing the creative work. And that's what it ended up being. I think the other thing I really liked about it was, as that drew me to it was the idea of, you know, calling clients by their first names, not the client, um, getting over some of the, you know, some of those habits. I don't know if it's more of a New York thing or, but like those, that kind of like, you know, the beginning of every call being like, oh, these clients, you know, yeah. like, you know, I was kind of, I was so tired of that. I, I'm like, well, the enemy. The enemy. Yeah, that whole, that whole dynamic. The reason we're not doing good work is the client sucks. Yeah, and 72 always had it like, well, maybe it's us. They always had that like honesty about them that was like, well, maybe they have some blame in why this isn't going great, but like it's our job to make it great. So, so was, was that collaboration process extended into the relationships with the clients? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, there were times where I think it it wasn't great for the work, but I think overall, net net, it's really good for the work and it's good for the relationships. Um, and it builds long-term trust, I think. I think that's why they've managed to hold on to things like Activision for so long um, and, and some other some other business. But um, 
yeah, that was another thing that really attracted me to it. And then the um, the Sonos thing was interesting because they were at a they were at a point where if you look back at their brand before seventy two came on board, it was it was very technical. You know, the 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 speakers were called like Zone Player nine thousand. You know, it's like and seventy two came in, and, and one of our big pushes was we need to take you from a tech brand to a music experience brand. Um, and I think that really unlocked a lot of growth for them. Uh, that was kind of um, to that point, you know, uh, being held back by the way they showed up in the market as something that was so technical and, and in many ways intimidating to people, I think, when in reality it was a pretty simple to use thing that just got your music all around your house. Yeah, so, no, it's, 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 it's one of those um, brands I think a lot of agency people really love. Yeah. But the business, it, 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 when, you, when you understand the business realities, it's somewhat frustrating that we've got to such almost a monopolized position in terms of that category where it's Amazon and a few other guys. Yeah. Namely, all the major brands who are also playing in this space. Yeah. And, you know, how do you ultimately, um, you know, compete with them? Yeah, we, I mean, and some of this work was being done before all the voice assistant things yeah. came on board. Um, yeah. and, and Sonos was a little bit late to that party. Um, obviously, they don't have the resources of an Amazon or exactly, Google yeah. to, to develop that tech. Yeah. They're a small company in Santa Barbara. Uh, so they've had to go more the, the, the frenemy route, you know, having voice assistant and having yeah, yeah. Alexa built in as an option. Um, but back back that back when we were repositioning it, the, the competition was more Bose and yeah, the traditional speaker company audio brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember sort of that transformation of that becoming much more of a sort of a, a lifestyle, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah, that was probably that was the big it went from this very like imagine the power of internet supported music to um to fill your home with music and the emotional music. Yeah, yeah. the emotional yeah. power that that unlocks. Yeah. yeah. Um was that, so uh, that was that a tough sell to them a bunch of engineers? No, they were they were they were they were ready for that. They yeah. they, they knew they they needed to expand their appeal and they needed to um broaden the, the, the kind of scope because they were kind of living in like they were very much they're they're a, a passion brand amongst like um kind of super cutting edge early adopter type tech guys uh gadget guys and the, you know the, there's a ceiling on that you know you gotta uh, you know i worked with um later the client on on sonos was a woman named joy howard who um you know, it's, it was amazing, amazing marketer came from Patagonia to Sonos and has gone on to do a lot of great things at Lyft and, and, um, Dashlane. Uh, and she was, she, um, you know, she was really great at, um, at, you know, building that music, building the music cultural point of view into it as well. And, and kind of helping to accelerate that before her, was a person named, um, there's a guy named Greg Perlot, who was a client who's actually an old 72 founder. So he was doing a lot of work on the inside, obviously, to uh, to, to ease things through. But yeah, I, remember, um, I, remember, I remember meeting him in Seattle when I first started in advertising. 
He's an ex-Microsoft guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, so there was, there's a lot, I I think I've just, I've been pretty lucky with the people I've been able to collaborate with over the years to learn from a lot of really awesome, inspiring people. So there's a lot of kind of, um, when, I don't know if you remember or whether you were part of the moments in time when strategies used to meet at annual gatherings. Yeah. You know, the APG conferences or yeah. those type of things. And it was sort of, um, you know, it would always be this cathartic. Um, you're with your people. Yeah, you're with your... You're with, with your other people. people. And my problems aren't just my problems. Everyone has the same problem. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a real kind of kinship there. Kinship between, yeah, between us. And we uh, have a few beers and, you know, moan about the world. Um, <laughs> and obviously, various reasons, there haven't been many of those. Yeah. Um, uh events and chances to get together um so it's an interesting it's an interesting time for strategy i i, mm-hmm. I wrote something 18 months ago for um walk where i sort of my they they do this big annual survey sort of a global state of strategy survey mm-hmm. and um you know my conclusion was it's sort of the dickens is the Best of times and the worst of times. Yeah. I mean, never have clients been more demanding mm-hmm. of strategy mm-hmm. at the same time when the agency side has depleted the resources available. Mm-hmm. So there's this sort of conundrum of like there's mm-hmm. a lot of work to do, but you don't necessarily have the bandwidth mm-hmm. to do it. Um, which yeah. is which is which has definitely been a challenge. And then you know, the other force is this sort of fragmentation of specialism, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, where everyone has strategists in their title now. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and it's, it's the, the resource crunch is real. I, I remember my, when I first started out, almost every project we had had like either and we had money for research. We had like real budgets that was built into the scope, you know. And, uh, you know, I can't remember the last time that happens now, unless you really, really, really try to fight, go uphill and, you know, really force people's hands. It's hard to get money for, for original research. Yeah, it was, it, was one of the, it was one of the really interesting things about the Axe podcast. Yeah. Um, because the client was talking about how they had taken the initiative and mm-hmm. literally embarked on a research journey way ahead of any RFP. Right. So they kind of go in to the, to the room kind of understanding what they need. Mm-hmm. And plus they're armed with a ton of stuff. And, and Unilever, that was the way even it was um, back when I worked on Axe. Yeah, the, yeah. the amount of thoughtful research that went into that brand just from Unilever independent of agencies. It was, it was really great stuff. Like they, they would, they would do, um, really ambitious research projects yeah. and then bring they have that reputation. Yeah. They have that reputation. Yeah. Uh, and, and the guy, Fergus, who did the podcast kind of, I, I posted this up on LinkedIn and he said, do you think it's um, a challenge for planners to have all this strategy work done? <laughs> yeah, it is. We, what do they have to do? We're often yeah. briefed with like pretty well thought out. Yeah strategic thinking that's backed by research and and the the challenge that you're always faced with is especially as the agency is 
<clears throat> what value am I adding? Where do I, how do I take this and make it great? Or how, what, what do I want to push back on it? But I know they're invested in it. It does create a bit of a, what's the first, first best move here? Either, either lean into it because it actually makes a bit of sense and it's, it's validated and it feels like they've done their homework. But then you're, then you kind of look in the mirror and you're like, okay, so what am I doing here? I'm just passing a, a brief, you know, you're just kind of passing it along to creatives. Um, so, so my, my, um, my guiding light on it has been, um, attach your ego to the outcome, you know, like, um, if you think that it's good and you believe in it, you're like, actually, there's a lot to like here. You don't have to create, you don't have to invent value to add value. <laughs> you know, you, you can, you can just make it a little better. You can sharpen it. You can communicate it to your teams in a way that's powerful, add more um, color to it. Yeah. Cause ultimately, ultimately there's a big difference between having a box of great research and creating some great communication. Yeah, totally. There's a big, you know, there's a big gap between those two things. Yeah. Even if you haven't done the stuff in the box, yeah. you've still got a ton of work to do. Yeah. But then also I think that gives you the intellectual capital and freedom to, if you don't agree with it, to push back on it and, and try to take it in another direction. Um, it's just kind of being honest about your feelings about it and whether you think it's valid based on how it's presented or, or it's how it's uh, validated and then, you know, move from there, you know, I, I, versus I think there's sometimes there's a reflection, re reflect, uh, reflexive reaction to just go, nah, it's not right. I, I got to come up with my own thing. Sometimes there's some value there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. It's another kind of, it's a little like a new CMO, isn't it? Coming in, mm -hmm. who says everything that was done in the past is wrong. And I'm yeah. on the wheel because I'm there. Yeah. I've seen CMOs do both. I've seen CMOs that come in and, you know, prison style, just punch the biggest guy in the face mm. on the first day. And then you also see, see folks that are more, you know, get the lay of the land, find out what's what, find out who's who there's kind of different styles there. Um, but yeah, the, there's a, there's a flipping of tables sometimes that can be inspiring. It can also be kind of destructive. Yeah. So, um, so how did you end up at Cartwright? How, uh, how was, yeah, well, well, Keith and I, um, <clears throat> Keith and I, uh, well, he, he came on, um, I mean, you, you go way back with Keith. He came on, um, oh, like three or four years ago to 72. Um, and he and I worked on Activision and the NFL. So the, during this time, um, at a certain point we picked up the NFL business. And, um, you know, we immediately hit it off, saw eye to eye on a lot of stuff. <clears throat> He's just a lovely guy to work with. Um, so we just had a good relationship uh, and did some good work there. And, uh, you know, when he was leaving, you know, he was pretty hush-hush about what he was doing next. But there was kind of a sense like, hey, I might call you. Will you pick up the phone? I said, yeah, of course. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, you know, when we first started talking about it, the um the pandemic hadn't started it was there's something happening in wuhan china and in the middle of our uh uh you know our talks about it you know things kind of exploded uh and it gave me um a ton of pause but when i when i well first of all before i get to that like 
the thing that I always knew about Keith is he had great creative instincts and was a great leader and people were drawn to him uh, and wanted to work with him. So I always knew that was going to be good. The, the thing that I've, that was revelatory to me was how thoughtful he was about how he's building the business and, and how his relationship with WP, he was going to work and, and why he thinks this agency uh, will succeed and, and how the kind of the really kind of sound business sense that he had that, you know, sometimes unfairly isn't attached to creatives. <laughs> uh, uh, but he he just, he had a really clear vision for how he wanted to build a business. So that was one thing that I was like, oh, I didn't know this side of Keith. I've only seen creative director Keith. Mm-hmm. And and that was that was heartening. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so the, so the pandemic happens and, uh, you know, I was thinking about it and I thought, well, maybe actually this is the, re- this is the time to go to somewhere small, you know, although it can feel uh, like you're more exposed in some ways, the economics of being in a smaller, more senior, leaner place might be more advantageous at a time when clients are trying to, you know, get to great work without trying to go through the whole machine. Um, and they're looking for, just get me to the senior people and help me make something good. Uh, and having less overhead and all that. And I think this actually almost counterintuitively to me at the time, like, I think this is the safer move. <laughs> like going to a, a startup in the in a pandemic is is um is gonna have a little more stability, even which sounds counterintuitive, but you know, the big agency agencies with a lot of overhead and a lot of people, that's where you saw some of the struggles. So um it wasn't the main reason I went, but it, it was it was something that gave me uh gave me confidence that you know because you could really easily go you really think you're gonna go to a startup in the middle of a pandemic (laughs) he had clients can he open the doors with clients uh yeah well he had some relationships with um through png and uh through uh but not 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 really like there wasn't like he didn't go like he didn't you know there was no piece of business that followed him from 72 or an old client that was just like yeah i got it we're, we're in you know he he had to build a, a lot of that almost all of it so um but you know he had it, it, he just had a clear vision and i was like actually this makes a ton of sense and at the very least it'll be a giant growth opportunity to you know run and try to build a department um so yeah so i, I jumped in the boat it's been great it's been yeah. really great well, yeah, i think it's really interesting what you said about uh, making the decision to, to, to go to a smaller place uh, obviously what what happened with the uh, sort of leveling of the playing field suddenly yeah suddenly you're on a zoom call all the yeah. time yeah. Mm-hmm. is that something that you guys naturally adjusted to or did you have some kind of like did it take time to kind of get that right because i've heard from a lot of people yeah that it was definitely a learning curve to to to, to sort of it it was i i think if there's any like the the you know agency culture development is difficult over zoom i think we've done a good job of it um a lot of it comes down to keith and like how much of a team builder he is and 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 um and the kind of example he sets on that front whereas he's very engaged and and thoughtful with the people but 
you know, that's one side of it that I think I'm really looking forward to getting in person a bit more because that'll really help us, you know, get to know each other's uh, uh, on a deeper level. Um, but in terms of the work itself, I mean, you know, I think everyone's been in the same boat. We obviously have our struggles with it, but um, net net, I think we've been able to do some good work despite it. I think the place as a strategist where I find it the most difficult is when it kind of comes down to the last few days before a, a pitch where maybe you're presenting stuff that has some more non-traditional elements and there's a bit of choreography and you got to think about how all this stuff works together. And that's where I find it personally. That's where I find the, the, the challenge is going, okay, we've got this comms plan. It's got these moving parts. So we got to present it this way. And sometimes it can just be a lot to get across over zoom. So I've, I've found like getting to fidelity on, on those kind of go to like those really kind of specific go to market strong challenges um, has been is probably like where where I see the biggest challenge. But when it comes to the big ideas and the and the the big unlocks and you know kind of agreeing to like a, a, the main thrust of an idea, I think that's been I think that's still pretty doable this way. I just find the minutia gets harder uh, in this format. Yeah, I think I think overall it's just you know there's a, the physicality of being able to close to the work. And you talked about seventy two with the work up on the walls. Yeah, yeah. I've actually my team and I were all we're all vaccinated, so we've gone in a couple times. Oh yeah. And um, specifically for those meetings where I'm like, yeah. okay, we've got all this, we've got this go to market plan, and we've got. Um, uh, we've got to kind of organize this and we'll put it on the wall. And actually <laughs> I'm kind of addicted to it at this point. If I don't have it, that tactile, being able to move things around and, and really kind of make sure the story is clean. Um, I just find it so much easier to work that way, but you know, I don't, I don't think you need to do that for every bit of the process. That's just one part of the process that I find it, it to be very helpful uh, uh, to be in person. But yeah, I, I would love to, to, keep the keep those moments just to that <laughs> to, to to doing that and, and I've, I've actually kind of liked working from home a bit being with my kids more and stuff so do you do you do you get the sense that um clients are are asking for your perspective on i mean it, it seemed to be a continual question for the last 18 months what the hell's going on? Mm -hmm. What's changing? Yeah. It's not changing. Right. And have we got any clarity on that? <laughs> or are we still That's in billion dollar? Yeah, it's a very high value question. I I um I don't know, maybe I'm a bit pessimistic, but I I think like my point of view is uh like it depends on the category. Like, you know, working we're working on a spirits pitch recently we didn't we didn't end up converting but you know there's all this talk about there's going to be these um everyone's going to go out again and it's going to be out it's parties in the streets and i'm like i i don't know i think people really like being at home you know like i, I those are the trends before the pandemic and and while we might see like a a bit of a blip a bit of a re return to that over the summer and but i think eventually those broader societal trends will continue. 
I mean, obviously, that's a very kind of small case. Um, I, th- well, that- I, think, I, th- I mean, I think it, I think it is fascinating. I think they just, you know, to have eighteen months of closeness mm-hmm. and introspection, mm-hmm. I've got to force everyone to question. Yeah, what the hell they're doing with their lives, right? Yeah, well, I think you see. I, I do feel like over the last couple of months, I see a lot of people changing jobs. Yeah. Like it was quiet for a while. I think everyone kind of went down to the mattresses and they're like, all right, let's, let's, I don't know if I'm using that phrase, right? But um, everyone kind of went underground and like, just let me like ride this out. And and now that, yeah, things are loosening up, you, you see people making moves. Oh yeah, so many. And 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 moving homes and mm-hmm. deciding where they, they want to live. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I, I think searching for a different way to do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think maybe this time period has shown people that a lot of the it's probably accelerated the trends, things that people maybe were unsure about. Uh, can that work? I mean, you've been doing it for a while. It sounds like you've been living on the East Coast and working on the West Coast for a long time. So you've been living in this world. You've kind of been in the future. Um, well, yeah. I, my, my favorite, my favorite anecdote of this is um, uh, it was impossible <laughs> six years ago to get anyone to get on video. Yeah, they would just yeah. be like, "I'll oh, put them on speakerphone." The other thing's too yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. So they never wanted to do it. And now we're just so—it's like it's second nature. We wouldn't just do a speakerphone call anymore. They're never going to happen. Yeah, I, in hindsight, they're super toxic. I think back to like some of the conversations I'd have on them. I think I'd say things that I'd never say and, and clients would get feedback. They'd never get in person. Yeah. The dreaded, like the dreaded mute button. Is it on oh, or yeah. off? Those kind of like moments of panic. Passing notes around the room. Yeah. Yeah. That stuff was pretty toxic. I think, I think there's a much more honest when it comes to remote work, it's much more honest this way. Uh, I, think, I think that's going to be a big, a big thing for people, you know, I, it's very hard to be an autocratic dictator mm-hmm. boss in the world of Zoom. Right, right. And what happens when people go back to the office? Yeah. You know, how does that, how do management styles, I mean, I don't think it, at a smaller place, I don't think you have the political issues, but at these large mm-hmm. agencies, um, yeah. I'm sure they have. I think management used to get a lot of peace of mind from seeing the yep. the worker bees out there clicking and clacking away and yep. having little conversations that used to make them feel good. But yep. uh, I don't know if this is going to breed more trust or more suspicion. I think it'll just depend on what we see with productivity. But um, you know, I, I've found that, especially in this business, if you, you, you got to be kind of pretty motivated to get into it and do it in the first place. So... It, you know, there's not, I've, I've found that like, I can just trust my team to, even though I'm not with them, that they're going to deliver. I think that's, I think that's the new management style. You mm-hmm. just, you just have to trust people and they'll do, do stuff and you have to give them. Yeah. I think generationally too, like there's, there's just a little bit less and for better or worse, like there's just less like built in reverence to leadership. <laughs> you know, like it used to, like I was very much of the like, got to pay your dues. The boss knows everything. Like listen to them, sit at their, you know, sit at their feet and, 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 and get the wisdom that, you know, that 
that's not the <laughs> I don't get that that's the vibe as much as it used to be and you know for some folks I think it's you know it's, it's you know sometimes it's can be actually quite good you get more perspectives that way yeah I think some I think some enlightened companies really understood that early on and they yeah. were sort of they did all sit around one table I did a project I did a project for a software company mm -hmm. um, a few years ago where it was all about looking at hierarchies mm -hmm. and um you know, you'd, you'd, you'd find these multinationals and you'd talk to these young team members and they'd say the same story, which is um, managers not involved. Mm -hmm. um, we do the project, we work on it for three months, the manager comes in, uh, doesn't like anything and cancels it. Yeah. Versus the people who are literally living on top of each other mm -hmm. in more of a flat organization. Yeah, they do have bosses, but the bosses are very close and yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I mean, that's the, yeah, that's how I like to work. I don't, I don't really see the value in working any other way. Yeah, but the the trick is though, like giving people enough space so they they feel they feel space to grow. So, so um, in terms of like, I think a lot of the stuff Keith was trying to do, um, certainly in the conversations I was having with him, mm -hmm. sort of pre uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and mm -hmm. anything that really happened there um, is quite a bit of the work you're doing mm -hmm. around those issues. Mm -hmm. And and what, what do you think, where do you think we're at with that? It, you know, it's sort of, I still feel like there's a lot of people who in corporate America who wish it would go away. <laughs> I, don't I, 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 I don't think it's going away. I think it's just becoming hopefully less performative. I mean, that's the thing that we, that we, that, that when Keith and I talk about all the time is like, is this, is this actually going to have, make a difference or is this like, who's going to benefit from this? Is it just the people telling the story, the brand or. Is it or, more. Uh, or can the people who the, the story. Targeted you know, at getting a benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. Like is, is are are we are we on the what side are we on like are, are we performative or are we actually trying to make a difference so yeah. that's that's kind of the, the the for me that's the main pressure test for everything we do um that touches on um racial equality um and um and, and you could be performative and, you could be performative or you could be powerful you can use communication to tell a story that hasn't been told and that, and that could be provocative and and be beneficial sure. on its own right sure yeah you can say something that's you can say something that's provocative enough that it makes an impact i think yeah. i think impact is probably the better way yeah. the litmus test yeah um it, it you know the only the only um evaluation can't be hey have we you know, funded a thing or like, I think that all that stuff is very important. And when we try to bake that into everything we do, so there's an on the ground component to basically everything we've, we've done in the space. Mm. Um, but yes, you're right. There, there are things you can say that are provocative enough that they start a conversation and that has value. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, it's a, um, it's a thing we're just trying to build in, you know, we get a lot of, we get a lot of calls, uh, because you know Keith yeah. is a black man, and um, we get a lot of calls on that front, and 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 he and we've been pretty thoughtful about what we do and what we don't, and a lot of it's based on just an evaluation of intention, mm. um, and where 
how committed are people? Like, what what do they actually want to achieve? And we've turned a lot of things down um, uh, on that front. Um, so uh, it's um, it's a sensitive thing for agencies too, because um, you know we want to we want to make a difference, but the last thing we want to do is do something that's not going to make an impact. You know, we're not trying to just trade on that. That's a that would be a unfortunate way to build an agency brand. Yeah. So, so it's something we, we put a lot of thought into what we take on and what we don't. Are you, are you building that into your own brand as well in terms of hiring and. Yeah. Like, yeah. Talent, yeah. Talent. yeah. We're doing the, we're doing, yes, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. I think it just makes the work better. Um, yeah. We're trying to look at it from a lot of different dimensions. Um, but I think I think if you're not doing that, like you probably the market's gonna <laughs> catch up with you. And it's not gonna be good. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think it's that, actually a more enjoyable way to spend a day. To be honest, yeah, um, it's a more it's a more fulfilling it's a more fulfilling way to go to work. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, you get you get the classic agencies aren't good at R and D. I, I don't think you know they 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 don't they'll. They're, they deal with issues on a kind of a to-do list and, mm -hmm. and then don't invest, you know, this is not, this isn't going to be solved in, in a two month timeline. This is like an ongoing commitment. Yeah. We're, we're good at, yeah, we're, we're built around two month timelines as an industry. Yeah. <laughs> like we're kind of just running from one deadline to the next. Yeah, you, so, you haven't solved the, the racial problem in two months. Yeah. What are you doing? Like, you give up. You give up. You give yeah, up. exactly. Uh, move on. Yeah. No. Too hard. I, and then that was one thing that I liked. Um, I think 72 had a good point of view on this um, in their purpose, which was to expand and diversify the creative class, which kind of became a a litmus test for, for you know, how they thought about how the business was structured, but also what kind of um, pro bono work they'd take on, um, which had a long arc to it. I, you know, I think, I think that's the the thing that, you got to you got to make this like I mean it's an, it's the it's the phrase of this moment, but you got to make it systemic to the way your business works, or else you just to your point like if it if it's a thing on the to do list, it's just there's so many deadlines and there's so many demands on your time. You, you got to build it in, or it's not going to get done the way you want it to, or as quickly as you want it to. So having those having that. Like just in the baked into the philosophy of the place, I think is the most important, uh, the best way to get to good results. And I mean, it is you know we are you know the, it, it, there's always been a backdrop of the challenge that's this, as you said, a two month. I mean, everything you see is short term. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. tactic. I mean, even looking at Can, I mean, like Super Bowl spot. That's not a long term brand builder. So. So one-off tactical mm -hmm. idea. There's so many short-term initiatives that get rewarded, and it and it and the and the long-term making commitments over time. That's what mm -hmm. we're talking about. Um, yeah. Hard. It's hard. Yeah, I remember working on. I remember working on Axe when Old Spice first started doing like experience, and we're like, oh, that's funny, but whatever. Didn't really worry about it, but they kept at it. You know, it wasn't until like year three or four that they really figured that out and in a way that like, you know, moved the market. So, yeah, it's a um, having commitments to longer term brand ideas 
uh, is really, yeah, there was a really, I, I happened to go to a one show when um, Old Spice, the, the man, this is the man, this is what the man smells like. Yeah. Uh, cleaned up. Yeah. And um, the creative team behind that told this wonderful story about how they had presented the Super Bowl spot to the client. Um, and the client had picked a spot. And then 48 hours later, they had sort of regrouped internally and had come to the conclusion that they'd sold the wrong spot. Yeah. And that they had to get back on the phone to the client and say, yeah. how far is this being sold? And, <laughs> that's, a, like, that's a that's always a fun call. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's, you know, that that's all about what a great team is and a great team is yeah. a client and an agency. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that without a, without some trust. Yeah. But um, so what, what are you what are you thinking about the world of um, communication and young planners who are out there who are sort of thinking about the idea of strategy and are somewhat confused by what's going on and uh, what what can you what ray of hope and promise can you uh way that this is the best job in the world and that you wouldn't do it you wouldn't do any other job um, um I, I just i think the more complex the world becomes the more essential strategists become you know i the amount of the amount of our impact on the work beyond the little slide that says creative it has grown so much over my career you know like we used to get the little beginning bit and then it was the creative show you know i find that um our our fingerprints are more on the way things show up in the world than maybe they ever were um and you know that takes an understanding of creative ideas but it also takes an understanding of just how things show up in people's lives and and where and when they can pay attention to things and where and when they can't uh, and how ideas get best absorbed so uh, to me it's that um uh, i think starting in media helped me a bit on this front of yeah. considering considering the actual yeah. experience of these ideas because they're not as simple and as easy to yeah it's really yeah, I, think that's, 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 I think that's a great point i i i often find that one of the best things strategy can do is you know be an objective voice of reason it's yeah. so easy in the in in you're fired up you've got your big idea and you start executing yeah and and you know the the, the shit comes in the stuff comes in and it's like we're going to get people to go to a gas station get a coupon then go on the internet and then they're going to play this chicken game totally. once they've done that and you go hang on a minute yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, you know what I yeah. Mean? and sometimes totally. it takes a voice of reason in the room to say no one is going to yeah. do that Totally. And I, I think that that's, that's kind of our role. Right. Um, and then they might not do that, but Hey, what if they might do this? I think that's the, that's the critical. That's, that's you got to have the solution. You got to have the solution. You can't just be the, the naysayer. Yeah. You, yeah, you can't be the naysayer. I, I, I feel like even if your take is wrong, having a take on how you might change it. Like that's one thing I, I always say to young strategists, like there's a, um, you know, there's a sense that 
even as a junior, you come to a creative review and you're going to be able to critique the work. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that probably will go over well. Why don't you come to the, to the creative review with an idea or with a, with a thing you saw in the world or like your job is fuel. Your job is inspiration. Like no one's expecting you to have all the answers, but they are expecting you to have little sparks and new ways of looking at a thing. So I always, I always ask young strategists to come to creative reviews with thoughts as opposed to opinions. Um, you can, if you have a, a strong opinion about something, of, of course, please express it, but, but, but that's not your role. Like your role is there as inspiration and fodder and, and you're a, you're a builder in, in that way. Um, so I, I think that's, that, that actually, I think helps folks get out of their own heads a little bit because it can be very intimidating to give feedback to a, a seasoned creative. But if you have an, an interesting thought, creative folks will, they will come to you if they see you as that source of, maybe I'm not going to do everything you say, but you're going to give me new things to think about. You're going to give me like, you're going to unlock new stuff. You're going to create new paths. Um, that's your role as a young person in this business is just like, just bring your own personal experience. And the fact that you quite frankly are more in the world than your boss, who's probably at home, like changing diapers, um, uh, and, and make value out of that, uh, while you can, because I, I think it's invaluable to teams just getting more and more fresh ways to think about a thing. Cool. One final, one final question for you. Um, mm -hmm. LA versus New York from an agency <laughs> perspective. Yeah. What, 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 do you, what do you think? What do you think LA brings to the table that New York doesn't, or vice versa? Oh, that's an interesting question. I I always thought the set of genius to me of seventy two was they sort of understood that a lot of the zeitgeist came out of LA. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they sort of really tapped into that and, and really sort of made that kind of a reason to go work with 72. Yeah. Uh, and New York definitely has an element of that, but it's it, it definitely flipped. I mean, where a lot of cultures being made um, West Coast. Yeah, I think, yeah, to me, the big difference is optimism and pessimism is like, and optimism has its strengths and weaknesses, which obviously is a, to me, that's the Los Angeles side where it's like, yeah. we can do anything. Anything can be great. Like yeah, yeah. you can take this shitty brief and make it something awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas New York has that healthy dose of cynicism and pessimism, but so it's just, to me, it's like, um, I've, I've loved getting that side of things. I grew up on, I grew up in upstate New York in a very kind of gloomy, dark place. Mm. Uh, and and getting this where everything was, we were very kind of cynical and serious, um, which has a ton of great things for work. Uh, and I think it can add a lot of rigor and a lot of focus uh, to things, but it can also be kind of draining. <laughs> um, whereas, you know, obviously the West Coast has this much more optimistic, anything can happen, bigger possibilities vibe which can sometimes lead you to make some mistakes because you're not <laughs> being as pessimistic as you might be but like to me that it's it's two sides of a coin um uh and for different parts of your life there's probably moments where you need one or the other depending on who you are mm -hmm. um but yeah i think i think both have just fantastic creative cultures uh, uh we're lucky to have 
such seemingly binary choices uh, in cities where you can you can kind of have almost like a um a multinational experience by work without leaving your own without leaving your own country yeah um uh so you know they always talk about what's a Beatles city and what's an Elvis city you know to me New York is a Beatles city and and LA is very much an Elvis city and um at different points in your life you you kind of want to experience both yeah that's very cool <laughs> well thank you so much that was awesome great conversation yeah, it was really fun to talk to you ed yeah a big a fan lot. of your work for a long time well, thanks so much i'll um i'll let you know when uh i put i put this up but uh appreciate your time and uh, great com- great conversation thank you so much this is your host ed cotton thank you so much for listening to inspiring futures until next time